what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Living Thelema. Now, I'm starting a new series of uh, episodes, uh, starting with today, and uh, it's going to be uh, focused on advanced meditation practices. Uh, we're going to start today with Liber Turis, Veldomus Dei, also known as the Book of the Tower or the Book of the House of God. Um, but before we get into that specific uh, text, let me um, explain a little bit about what I want to do with the series generally. So the basics of meditation uh, in the AA system are practiced as early as probationer. Um, this builds across the neophyte and zealoter grades, and it's expected that the aspirant of these early grades will maintain a consistent daily practice of Raja Yoga, including asana, dharana, which is concentration, of course, and in zealoter especially, beginning with uh, zealoter pranayama, breath control. Now, while pranayama and asana are tested at zealoter, there is no formal testing of success in dharana and more advanced meditation until the practicus grade and beyond. Because of that, uh, in my experience, many aspirants and just those exploring uh, Crowley's writings generally and the, and the instructional practices specifically, um, they just have much less exposure to, understanding of, and practical experience with the various advanced meditation practices compared to the foundational basic instruction that you get in Liber E and other uh, early grade papers from uh, probationer, neophyte, and so on. Uh, so this new series of episodes is going to focus on several of these lesser-known practices, uh, giving tips for performance and uh, insight into potential results. I strongly recommend coming into this that you review the Living Thelema chapter or podcast episode called Meditation and Visualization Practices. Um, I'm going to be assuming that you have familiarity with the various terms from Raja Yoga that I'll be using in this new series. I'm also assuming that you have familiarity with the terms of um, the various uh, Sephiroth on the Tree of Life and the grades of AA. and So yeah, that, that sort of jargon I'm not going to back up and explain too much here. There's plenty of other my podcast episodes that um, will um, clarify all of those things, but you should do whatever background research you need to before moving on to this episode, but especially the meditation and visualization practices episode. Uh, I'm also going to be assuming that you have experience with basic relaxation and other preparatory work that is helpful when approaching any uh, more advanced meditation or ritual, uh, because in these episodes I'm going to dive right into the practices under review without repeating those preliminaries every time. It's assumed that you're going to be able to know how to get relaxed in a basic way, to perform basic concentration practices and so on before uh, moving into these advanced practices. Okay, so as I said, we're going to begin with uh, Liber Turis Veldomus Dei, uh, the Book of the Tower or the Book of the House of God. Um, now, the Book of the, the Tower and the House of God are uh, two alternate titles that have appeared over the years for uh, Atu 16 in the Thoth deck, the Tower. And um, Liber Turis is uh, a Class B document, numbered 16, and that 16 corresponds to the number of the tarot trump, um, the tower. In the AA curriculum, Liber Turis is assigned to the Practicus of 3.8 and the Philosophus of the 4.7 grades. 
And that makes sense because this Libra, as I just said, is attributed to the, the Tower card and the Path of Pei, which connects Hod and Netzach, which is the two spheres uh, associated with the grades of Practicus and Philosophus. So it makes sense that an initiative at that stage would be uh, working with those paths specifically, or that path. Um, now, the, the symbolism of the Tower card itself has a lot to do with the breaking down of thought forms of Hode with the fiery, passionate energy of Netsok and the interplay between these two poles, sort of the essential dynamic uh, relationship between intellect and emotion, between the certainty of forms that we create for ourselves and the destruction of those forms by uh, irrational processes that are all so equally important in the human makeup. Um, if you look on the tower card, you'll see the sort of flaming mouth that is spewing out flame um, and uh, destroying the tower and the geometric figures falling out of it symbolize those thought forms which are uh, needing to be destroyed in order to be reformed into new ones. So that symbolism of the card has, as you'll see, a lot to do with the practice itself um, in that this is a exercise in the destruction of thought and uh, it's it's really an ingenious practice um, simple in concept um, but uh, certainly deserves to be called a more advanced meditation practice because as you've probably experienced if you've got if you've had any uh, training with meditation at all it is easier to train the mind to focus on something such as an image or the breath or a mantra and so on, than it is to get the mind to just stop thinking. So this is definitely a more advanced meditation practice. Now, you'll recall that in previous episodes, especially those focusing on the system of AA and the methods and tools, the training tracks, as I talk about in that two-part episode, um, one of my favorite questions to ask when contemplating any practice in the AA system is, why do we do it? And how does it help the aspirant on the journey towards knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel? Uh, what's the practical utility? Why train the mind in this way um, as a part of moving toward that um, goal? Well, as I said, this is most simply an exercise in destruction of thought. Uh, and for an initiate of Hode or beyond, um, you know, that initiate has, by that stage of the work, spent years engaged in basic concentration practices. But this is not enough. They must increasingly be able not only to focus thought, but to silence it completely. All of the mind-stilling practices of AA aim to quiet the chatter of everyday thought. And then, in that silence, uh, the aspirant may be able to hear the voice of the Holy Guardian Angel increasingly powerfully. So to me, that's the basic answer for what's the point of doing this and how it helps us uh, move towards K and C. So what I'm going to do now is step through the actual instructions of the practice and comment uh, at various points on um, you know, my own experience or uh, fleshing out the background necessary to understand what the instruction is talking about. So let's begin. Line zero. The numbers will just be 
line numbers of the practice. This practice is very difficult. The student cannot hope for much success unless he have thoroughly mastered asana and obtained much definite success in the meditation practices of Libra E and Libra HHH. So as a reminder, Libra E is the basic instructional practice in yoga, and Libra HHH is a three-part practice, uh, two, the first two parts of which are uh, essentially guided meditations that relate to the initiations of the neophyte and zealotor grade specifically. And uh, the third part, called SSS, is a, a, an instruction in uh, much more active visualization and energetic work with the, sort of the kundalini system in the body. He continues, on the other hand, any success in this practice is of an exceedingly high character, and the student is less liable to illusion and self-deception in this than in almost any other that we make known. Now, why would that be? Um, if you're doing a meditation practice where, let's say you're meditating on a, a key phrase of some kind to gain a deeper understanding of it, or you are... Uh, meditating on an image that might have resonances of meaning or things like that, it's easy for beginning students to start to get some preliminary results, including having ideas or other kinds of visions flash in their head, which is actually technically a break from meditation to, if you're approaching it as a mind-stilling uh, practice. But in any case, um, it's easy to get... Uh, to delude oneself about the importance of one, one's results um, from things that are a little more dramatic or, you know, visually impressive or uh, have a lot of content to them. But it's kind of hard to be self-deluded in your results if all you're doing is getting your mind to shut up, if you're just trying to have some silence. Um, it's pretty clear if you are succeeding or not. And if you are succeeding... It's not going to be by having fantastical visions that um, that uh, make you very impressed with yourself. It's going to be a certain um, true stillness and, and discipline of, of mental training that brings its own benefits that are just less liable for fanciful uh, uh, interpretation. One, first point. The student should first discover for himself the apparent position of the point in his brain where thoughts arise, if there be such a point. If not, he should seek the position of the point where thoughts are judged. So there's a lot of room for subjective experience here, obviously. Um, in my experience with this practice, and that of others I've talked to who have tried it uh, to some extent, um, it is very possible to identify the point in the brain where it feels like thoughts uh, originate. Um, and then, which which for me happened to be sort of back center of the brain, uh, more, you know, down toward the brainstem. But, you know, I'm not saying that neurologically that's exactly where thoughts originate, but that's the perception. Uh, uh, at least that was my perception. And then... Um, somewhat forward from that you can kind of feel uh, you may be able to feel um, the place where as he says here thoughts are judged or kind of 
analyzed a little bit. So as you start to trace this path um, backward, if you will, toward its source, the source of thought, um, it, you, you may discover that it's like you're going on a sort of an archaeological dig through your own neural pathways where you can um, get more and more primal, if you want to call it that. There's this sort of impulse to thought that you discover that leads to thought, that leads to analysis of thought, that leads to combination with other thoughts, and so on. So increasingly complex uh, thought forms. But if you keep following that back to its source, um, sure enough, you get to something pretty primal. Second point, he must also develop in himself a will of destruction, even a will of annihilation. It may be that this shall be discovered at an immeasurable distance from his physical body. Nevertheless, this he must reach. With this he must identify himself even to the loss of himself. So I did this as described, and what ended up happening was sort of a, an identification with this destructive force is sort of floating out in front of me and generating essentially like a lightning bolt that would instantaneously wipe out whatever thought was rising. And it really is uncannily uh, helpful to to have this destructive force externalized. Um not like visualized as an, as an entity or anthropomorphized in any way at all, just sort of the source of destruction was floating out there and zapping every thought as it, as it arose. Um, and I think uh, that aids in the disidentification with the ego and its thoughts, uh, which is an important principle throughout the great work as we move towards increasingly placing our identification with the deeper self rather than the transient ego personality of everyday life. Third point, let this will, that is the will to destruction, let this will then watch vigilantly the point where thoughts arise, or the point where they are judged, and let every thought be annihilated as it is perceived or judged. Fourth point, next, let every thought be inhibited in its inception, following the source of thought upriver, so to speak. That's my additional note on that. It, as I was saying, it, it's sort of like you, you do follow the thought up upstream to its point of origin. And uh, increasingly, you can kind of destroy it right there, nipping it in the bud, so to speak. Fifth point. Next, let even the causes or tendencies that, if unchecked, ultimate in thoughts be discovered and annihilated. Uh, now, this is where it gets even more tricky. <laughs> what are these causes or tendencies? Um, this calls to mind the meditation practice known as uh, Mahasatipatthana, uh, which is observation of breath, a Buddhist style observation of breath, where you note um, consciousness, you note uh, perception of consciousness, you know, an impulse to perceive consciousness, you sort of backing up from your own consciousness, your own mind to observe cause after cause after cause. Um, and uh, the, for me, this has kind of a familiar feel um, between that meditation practice and what we're doing here with tourists. Sixth and last point, let the true cause of all 
be unmasked and annihilated. This is that which was spoken by wise men of old time concerning the destruction of the world by fire. Yea, the destruction of the world by fire. And that's harder to talk about, uh, if, if it's even possible to talk about it, since what we're, what we're getting at here is, as he put it, you know, the, the true cause of all um, that we're unmasking and annihilating. That's pretty far upstream, right? But that's where you're striving to go and to discover those seed principles and seed impulses that even lead to the existence of your own mind. Um, so you can see how this this takes meditation to its uh, fairly extreme and ultimate result of uh, identifying the cause of one's own mental existence and that flow of primal thought that comes out of universal consciousness itself and, and results in the little pinpoint of awareness that is an individual mind. Number eight, uh, this and the following verses are of modern origin. Let the student remember that each point represents a definite achievement of great difficulty. Let him not then attempt the second until he be well satisfied of his mastery over the first. This practice is also that which was spoken by Frater P. in a parable as followeth. So uh, I'm going to read this at length. It's basically a versified uh, examination of, of as he says, of the process here that we're talking about. I don't have comments on this, but I'm just going to go ahead and read it to you for um, a little poetic uh, addition to our session today. And Frater P. is Crowley, of course. Foul is the robber stronghold, filled with hate. Thief strangling thief, and mate at war with mate, fronting wild raiders, all forlorn to fate. There is nor health nor happiness therein. Manhood is cowardice, and virtue sin. Intolerable blackness hems it in. Not hell's heart hath so noxious a shade, Yet harmless and unharmed and undismayed, Pines in her prison and an unsullied maid. Penned by the master mage to his desire, She baffles his seductions and his ire, Praying God's all-annihilating fire. The Lord of Hosts gave ear unto her song. The Lord of Hosts waxed wrathful at her wrong. He loosed the hound of heaven from its thong. Violent and vivid smote the levin flash. Once the tower rocked and cracked beneath its lash. Caught in extinguishable fire was ash. But that same fire that quelled the robber strife and struck each being out of lust and life left the wild, mild maiden a rejoicing wife. And this, there is a well before the great white throne that is choked up with rubbish from the ages, rubble and clay and sediment and stone, delight of lizards and despair of sages, only the lightning from his hand that sits and shall sit when the usurping tyrant falls can purge that wilderness of wills and wits, let spring that fountain in eternal halls. And this... Sulphur, salt, and mercury, which is master of the three? Salt is the lady of the sea, lord of air is mercury. 
Now by God's grace here is salt, fixed beneath the violet vault. Now by God's love purge it through with our right hermetic dew. Now by God wherein we trust be our sophic salt combust. Then at last the eye shall see three in one and one in three. Sulfur, salt, and mercury crowned by heavenly alchemy. To the one who sent the seven glory in the highest heaven. To the seven who are the ten glory on the earth. Amen. And of the difficulties of this practice, and of the results that reward it, let these things be discovered by the right ingenium of the practicus. Okay, so that concludes our uh, reading and review of Liber Turris, Veldomus Dei. I hope um, you'll try this out, and especially once you've mastered some of the more uh, foundational practices of meditation, and give it a shot and see, see what you get over time. Now, as always, if you have any questions, um, suggestions for future episodes, anything else, uh, you can send that to me via email at david at livingthelema.com. Don't forget to visit livingthelema.com itself for an archive of all the episodes um, and notes on my upcoming appearances uh, when, when those are occurring. Um, if you want information on further formal training along these lines, you can contact AA at onestarinsight.org and also Temple of the Silver Star, a separate organization, but providing um, lots of foundational training in magic and mysticism uh, that I administer, and that is at totss.org. So thanks for listening, and watch in the coming uh, weeks and months for additional episodes in this advanced meditation series. Love is the law, love under will. <laughs>